Today's story is one of those that I think for a lot of us, I hope kind of captures our imagination. Uh, it is a story that uh, Mark does a very interesting job of how he interweaves two stories uh, in, into one story. And so I want to uh, just take a moment uh, to talk a little bit about the characters of the story. Uh, we start this, uh, this passage in verse 21, and verse 21 says to us, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was where? By the sea. So if we start going through and kind of looking at the characters, I want to just kind of walk through some of them with you this morning because they're an important understanding to how this story kind of plays out. So who are the characters of the story? Well, the first person that we see right away is Jesus. And the second character that I want to put up there, because I want you to remember something I said two weeks ago, and I'm sure all of you remember what I said two weeks ago, but the second character I want you to see is the sea. If you remember two weeks ago, I made this statement to you as a part of my sermon. Let me flip back to it to make sure that I say it correctly. But I made the statement to you that Mark seems to use the sea as a sign of a teaching concerning discipleship. And then last week, uh, y'all were with the Gerasene dem demoniac, or however you want to say that, and where was he? By the sea. This week, we are back where? By the sea. And so one of the things that I want you to kind of think through as we talk about this story is, is does this statement still hold true? Is this a teaching about discipleship? What do we learn as disciples from the story of Jairus and the woman who is bleeding? So that takes us to our, our next character, who would be Jairus. We, don't, we aren't introduced to her until later in the story, but Jairus does tell us that his little daughter is sick, and so we, we see that there is, Jairus has this daughter who is ill. We are then introduced kind of quickly uh, into the, the bleeding woman or hemorrhaging woman, however you would like to say that. This is where we're going to spend quite a bit of time. We go to the bleeding woman, to the disciples, uh, as a part of that story, we have the people at Jairus' home, and uh, I think that kind of rounds out our, our kind of understanding of some of the characters of this story. What I want to do today is to really spend time on two of these characters, those two characters being Jairus and the woman and the bleeding woman. That's where I want to kind of spend, and actually we're going to spend probably more, way more time with the bleeding woman than even with Jairus, but that's, that's where I want to focus this in. So my question kind of becomes of if we're going to focus on these two, or these two characters, Jairus and the woman who is bleeding, what are the commonalities? Why would Mark kind of pull these two stories together? What do these two people have in common? Now, I hope for most of us, we have not had to deal or process the understanding of having a child that we could lose. We also have this lady who has dealt with this medical issue for what we read is for 12 years. What do they both bring? And I think their kind of common thread between both of them is both Jairus and the woman bleeding have reached the end of their ropes. They're desperate. They're, they're desperate. They have done everything that they know to do, and they don't know where to go next. And so what I want to do is, I think we kind of can look at this story, and most of us can say, I've never had to deal with either of these issues, so this really isn't my story. 
What I want to say to you and what I want to do today is to invite you into this story and to tell you for most of us, we do know what it is to be desperate. We have had those moments in life where desperation has set in. So I want to talk just a little bit about desperation this morning because I think for some of us, even when I say that, you're like, Pastor, I, I haven't really dealt with that either. So what is desperation? Well, desperation is, is the feeling of being so helpless that the situation is impossible to deal with. Have you had a situation that is so helpless that you don't even know how to deal with it? Jairus here brings this, not brings his daughter, but he comes with this understanding that his daughter is sick and is going to pass, and he is in a point where he can't deal with it and says, I need someone else to help. The woman who is bleeding comes, and as we, we read in the passage, and as Max McLean reminded us, in that passage, she has spent all of her money. She has gone to the doctor's. She has done everything she can, and she, it has not changed anything, but in fact has made it worse. They're desperate. I, I did something this week, and one of, some of y'all know, one of my rules is, is don't put a whole bunch on a slide, and I'm about to break that rule in magnificent fashion, all right? I Googled this week, what makes people feel desperate? And Google has really good answers. So this is what Google said, all right? There's a whole bunch of stuff up here. The reason I want you to see these is because I think it will help you identify where you can say, I've felt that way before, or I, I might feel that way today. So what are some of the reasons that we see in our world today that people feel desperate? Sometimes it's over a fear of abandonment or rejection. Maybe there has been a childhood trauma or neglect that has been in your life. Sometimes there are unmet emotional or physical needs, unfulfilled dreams or goals. Many times there's substance abuse or addiction that is involved. Chronic stress or anxiety, insecurity or low self-esteem, depression, financial difficulties, broken relationships, a lack of purpose or meaning in one's life. I I think I can speak for most of us and say, one of these, I, I think, I don't want to say hope because they're all bad things, but I think one of these, at least most of us can say, I've, I've been there. I, I have felt that way. And for some of you, you can even say, Pastor, this isn't something that is in the past. This is something in the present. I know what it's like to deal with anxiety, or I know what it's like to deal with insecurity. I know what it's like to deal with financial issues. I know what it's like to deal with an addiction or to deal with past childhood trauma. All of these things, these are things that are a part of my life. And for those of you that identify with that today, I want you to hear something, that there is a story here that is for you. Whether it's Jairus and his daughter, you have a loved one going through this, or whether it is something that you are dealing with yourself and you have tried everything you can to fix it, and it doesn't fix it. The story today is for you. The story today is for us to hear in 2024. So let's talk a little bit about this story. We're going to read a little bit of it today, but I want to talk about just kind of 
a little piece of it because I want you to see kind of what is, what is going on here. Part of it is that what I want you to see is that on that list, as we, as we look at all of, all of these things, we all have something I think that we could probably identify with. And for many of us, we have those moments or that place in our lives where we have seen there is no way out. And so kind of the first question I think that a lot of us deal with is, what, what is kind of the first step of getting out? And I think the first step is actually kind of hidden in our English Bibles. There is a word used here in this passage three different times, and it's a word that we don't translate super well. The first time we see the word is in Mark, chapter five, or Mark 5, 23. Jairus comes to Jesus and says, He begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so she can get, and the word that most of our Bibles translate is get well and live. We also see it a little bit later when the woman has this thought in her head. We don't know if she says it out loud or if it's just something in her head. But this thought that Mark records is, and she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Now, there's something interesting going on here that I want you to see. The Greek word to be healed, which some of your Bibles might translate it as, the Greek word for healed is not sozo. The Greek word for heal, because I know most of you are worried about it, is itadimami. Say that 10 times real fast. This word that Mark uses here and that they use in this passage is the word sozo, which means to save, to rescue, to persevere, or to, sorry, to preserve safe and unharmed. What Jairus is asking and what the woman is seeking is not just to be healed, but to be rescued, to be saved, to be preserved unharmed. And I think that kind of starts us understanding what's going on here is that in our lives, when we look down this whole list of all of these things, what I hope that you see is, is that there is a God who doesn't just want you to be healed, but wants you to be rescued, to be preserved unharmed, to be made whole. That this story is more than a story of healing. It is a story of a God who intervenes in a situation where there is no hope. And the God that intervenes for Jairus and the God that intervenes for an unnamed woman in this story is the same God that intervenes today. It wants you to call on him. Let's look at the, the story of uh, the bleeding woman, and we'll just kind of read through. Uh, if you have your scripture notebooks, uh, we are on, we'll start with verse 25. It'll also be up on the screen, uh, but it starts over on page 26. So we will start there with verse 25. It says, now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I touch his clothes, I will be made 
whole or made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and and she sensed in her body that she was healed from her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now, we, most of us know this story. And when I read this story, one of the images I get in my mind is, and many of you have done it, whether it's uh, in Tuscaloosa or in Auburn or at some other professional, uh, or at a professional sporting event, but you have been in those moments where you have been in a crowd and you can't even move. In my mind, that's kind of what's going on here. And we see this from the response of the disciples. And so Jesus, they're in that, they're packed in there, they're working their way through the streets, and Jesus turns and says, who touched me? And his disciples respond, I think, very appropriately. We see in verse 31, the disciples say, you you see the crowds? What What do you mean, who touched me? I mean, think about that. We've all done it, or we've been a part, like you're walking out of the stadium after the game in Tuscaloosa, and to turn around and be like, somebody touched me we would all do the same thing. Like, of course somebody touched you. A hundred people just touched you. But Jesus knows that something has happened. And and I think there's a whole other sermon here that I'm not going to preach today. I'll preach it in four years when we're back on this passage. But there's a whole other sermon here, but I want you to hear this statement. Something happens. Something happens when the woman's faith collides with the power of God. You hear it? Something happens when the woman's faith collides with the power of God. God does something incredible in her life. And Jesus knows. I don't know how. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't explain it to you. I'm just going with what the text says. Something happens there. And he knows that that God has done a work in someone's life and he wants to see her. So we go on to verse 32. So he was looking around to see who did this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Go in peace. And here's the third time in the passage this word sozo is used. Go in peace for your faith has rescued you, has saved you, has left you unharmed. This story, I think, is an incredible story where we can learn about our moments of desperation. And my kind of question that I really want to just spend the rest of the time with is asking one question. In our moments of desperation, what can we learn from this story? In in the hardest moments of our lives, in the moments where we don't know what to do, what do we learn from these two stories? And we, we know the story and I want to focus on the the woman bleeding. We know the story of Jairus, and we've we've heard how that story turns out. So in these stories, what do we learn? And I'm going to do old school preaching, three points. Y'all like that? Three things that we learn. 
The first thing that I see that we learn is, is that there is a God who wants to rescue you. There, there is a God who knows your situation. There is a God who has heard your prayer. This woman in Jairus, this is not a news flash for Jesus. This was not something that he wasn't aware of. And God knows your desperate moments. And there is a God who wants to make you well, who wants to rescue you. No matter how lonely you feel, no matter how much you feel like, you know what, Pastor, on that list, there was a lot of stuff, and I could check like eight of those. I might not know it, your spouse might not know it, your parents might not know it, but there is a God who knows it. And that God wants to do something about it. So the first thing we see is that there is a God who wants to rescue you. Secondly, the woman helps us learn or helps us understand the posture we should take. If you don't have it underlined in your Bibles, I think you should underline it because it's well worth underlining. But in verse 33, we kind of get this understanding of what the woman does. She is healed, and then she does something. She comes with fear and trembling, and she comes to him, and what does she do? First, she comes to him. Second, she falls down before him. And third, she does something that none of us want to do. What does she do? She tells him the whole truth. She tells him the whole truth. When I hear this, I can't help but remember. Remember in John chapter 4, Sharon read us a little piece of it because I wanted to kind of plant that in your head this morning. Remember, we've looked at this before. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, another nameless woman in our Bibles, the woman comes, and Jesus has this whole conversation with her. And, you know, y'all know the story. The woman, or you've, you've been married four times, and the man you're living with now is not your husband, and we have that whole story. And then remember what happens? She, he, it makes the statement, he told her all about her life. He told her the whole truth. And somehow, in telling her the whole truth, she rejoices. And I made, when I preached that, I made this statement to y'all, and I believe it 100%. I think for most of us, if someone tells us the whole truth about our lives, we're not going to rejoice much about it. But there was something about the way that God spoke, or Jesus spoke to her that day, that when she heard it all laid out, she rejoiced. And the woman comes to Jesus that day, the, the bleeding woman, and says, here's the whole truth. Here, here's everything that's happened. And what I want you to hear that and why I want to tie those two stories together for you this morning is, is I think sometimes in our hearts, we don't want to tell God the whole truth because we're afraid of what God is going to do. But we also know deep down that God already knows the whole truth. And maybe sometimes what keeps us from understanding what God wants to do in our lives is we think we can hide things from him. And sometimes we need to tell him the whole truth. Everything that we're struggling with, everything that we feel, those places in our lives that are desperate places, are we big enough, wise enough to tell him the whole truth? The third point, which don't go there just yet, Emily, did you already go? Okay, pause just real quick. Okay, 
The third point, I want to kind of set it up because I want you to, to hear it in kind of the context of John's brain. When we lived in San Diego, uh, it was a very, as you can imagine, very strong Hispanic culture. And when you, when you live in that culture, you just, part of the Hispanic culture just becomes a part of your life. And you hear the way that people that you see or people you talk to, just the way that they use Spanish. It's just a, it's a different world. And there's some words that we learned that are, I think, are just beautiful words in Spanish. If you hear someone speak about their grandmother and they use the term abuela, there is a term of love and endearment there that I just don't think we have in English. That when I hear the term abuela, I think of some of the women in our church and the women that would bring me tamales, which is a quick way to my heart. But they, would, they were just wonderful, wonderful women. And to talk about your abuela was just this, this beautiful term of what it meant to have a grandmother. Another term that you hear, and it's, this is one of those things, if you've never heard it, when I tell you or you don't know this word in Spanish, once I tell you, you're going to start hearing it all the time. But in Spanish, there is the, the standard Spanish way to, to say the words my daughter would be mi hija. And I was working on this, I, I saw this passage where he says, my daughter, and I thought, well, I wonder how they translate this in Spanish. So I went to the Spanish Bible, looked it up, and it's translated, mi hija. But in Spanish, they take those two words and they run them together to come up with another word. And you'll hear it if you ever hear a mother speak to their daughter. They don't just call them daughter, they use this as their name. And the term is mija, or for a son, mijo. If you've ever been around a Spanish mom, you'll hear them call. We were at uh, Pepper Place when our friends Darren and Glenda were in town. We were walking through Pepper Place, and I hear a mom just, I hear the word mija, and I look, and like there's a little girl around here somewhere. But if you look up the word mija, it's not, there are people that argue it's not even translated as daughter, but it should be translated as dearest one. It is a sign of affection. It's a word of someone that you love very much. And I know I'm stretching it a little bit here, but when I read this passage, this woman has, has touched Jesus' garment. She comes with fear and trembling. She comes to the feet of Jesus. She falls at the feet of Jesus. She tells him the truth, and he responds to her in this beautiful way. And in my, in my Bible, I've, I under. My daughter, I draw a little asterisk and then I put it in the, in the margin. I wrote this word, miha. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of someone that, that you love. And for this woman to live her, the past 12 years of her life, and we don't know the husband's situation, we don't know any of these things, we know that she has spent all of her money, that she has seen all of these doctors, and in the Jewish culture we all know that whatever was going on in her life, if she is bleeding, she is not someone who has even been able to be a part of worship. She is outside of the community. And she has this interaction with a man named Jesus. And he doesn't just say, hey, you're healed. Welcome back to the club. He looks her in the eye and restores who she is and says, my daughter. 
my dear one, someone who I love. And so part of what I want you to see in this is in our moments of desperation, one of the things that we can learn is not only is there a God who wants to rescue you, but there is a God named Jesus who desires to call you by name. And that name is son. That name is daughter. That there is a God who wants to speak truth into your life. That there is a God who wants to take all of those desperate moments, all of those things that we don't want other people to know, all of those moments in our lives where we don't feel that there is a way out. He wants to take those moments, look you in the eye, and say, Miha, Miho, you're, you're my child. You're my dear one. Of all the world that has pushed you aside, of all the people that didn't think you were worth anything, I am one who calls you my child, my dear one. That there is a God who loves you enough to call you child. So this morning, what, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this passage? I keep coming back to the same thing. I keep coming back to the same question. What would happen? What would happen in your life, in your situation? What, what would happen if the desperate places of your life, the abandonment, the trauma, the unmet emotional or physical needs, the abuse, the addiction, the anxiety, the insecurity, the depression, the financial difficulties, broken relationships, the goals that you had for life that weren't met, what if you took all of those things and you allowed those things, as I said earlier, to intersect with your faith and with the power of God? What if we took the desperate places of our lives and we gave them over to the reign and rule of God? And said, God, this, this is my deepest hurt. This is the place in my life where there is no way that you could work. I've done everything I can to try to fix it. There is no other option than to go to you. There is a God who wants to rescue. And I think the woman bleeding gives us a picture of what it looks like. That we come to Jesus. That we fall down before him. And we, for once in our lives, tell him the whole truth. And God, here it is. Here's my hurt, here's my pain. Here's everything. I want those things to be under the reign and rule of a God. A God who knows these things already, but a God who says, come and tell me. Come and bring me those things. Come and tell me the whole truth. 
This morning, as we close, that is my question. We're going to close a, a little bit differently today, and uh, I will give, we all need to give a big thank you to John Murphy this morning. Uh, he did a great job. Y'all do not know, or most of you probably don't know, John's sick, and he's probably back there asleep with headphones in listening <laughs> to the live stream. And when we got down to the very end, I told, I, he sent me a message this morning, cut a song, like, let's just get through the service. And so closing is going to be a little bit different because John's not going to come up here, but we picked a song that we know, and I said, let's just put it up there, we'll play a song, we'll have the lyrics on the screen, because I want the opportunity that if you want to come to pray, that we still have that opportunity, but I want John to rest as well. So we're going to sing the song. Uh, there's not going to be a leader. It's just going to be a recording of it. We're going to sing the song, Come to the Altar, that most of you probably know. But this morning as we come, uh, some of you that worship with us regularly, you kind of know the routine. That if you would like to pray with a pastor, that Pastor James uh, will be right over here at this altar, and he would love the opportunity to pray with you. If you would like to be anointed for healing, emotional, physical, spiritual, that I will be down at this altar and I would love the opportunity to pray with you. But these other two altars, as we uh, listen to this song, as we sing this song, you might this morning say, you know what, Pastor, I, there is something I've been carrying that I have not brought to the feet of Jesus. And today is just an opportunity just to grab hold of that hymn and say, God, I, I have the faith that you can do something with this. I have the faith that this point in this place in my life that you can work. And I want to see what this woman is doing, and I want to follow her example to come to you, to fall down before you, and Lord, just to tell you the whole truth. Because where I am, I don't see any other option, and I want you to take what is heavy upon my life. So today, as we close, I'm going to ask you to stand here in just a moment, and we're going to sing, and I just invite you to come if you want to find a place to pray today. Let us stand today as we sing.